It's time now for today's edition of Community Conversations. It's the interview program in which we dialogue with voices from the Omaha community. And here's your host for Community Conversations. Let's welcome Cammie Carlisle. Well, good afternoon, and thanks for listening to Radio Talking Book Service. It's time for Community Conversations. And today, I have a good friend of mine on, Jenny Herkenbach. She is a death doula. Jenny, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I am so excited to talk to you about what you do. First and foremost, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us some background and tell us how you got to where you are. Sure. Um, so like you said, my name's Jenny Herkenbach. I am an Omaha native. Um, it, that's only partially true. I'm actually an Air Force brat. So wow. I moved here as a child um, to Bellevue uh-huh. and um, spent all of my time driving back and forth to Midtown Omaha and finally moved to Midtown um, in 2013. So um, it's been a decade of living the Midtown Omaha life. Um, I have both a business degree and a degree in occupational therapy Mm -hmm. and worked for many years as an occupational therapist um, at a trauma center. And in 2019, decided I needed to take a break and find a way to use my skills that were less um, hard on my body. Um, Working in a trauma center is is physically demanding in addition to everything else. And by the time um, I was ready to head back to work, the pandemic hit. And I decided that working in a hospital at that time was not something I was willing to do. And luckily I didn't have to. And instead I really took a deep dive into all things, death, dying, and grief. And It allowed me to have conversations that I've always wanted to have with people. I was always very death curious, always Mm -hmm. wondered why we didn't talk about it more. And the density of death that the pandemic provided Mm -hmm. also provided opportunities to have those discussions in a much more open way because death was really something that was affecting everyone all at once. And then the other opportunity that came up as a result of the pandemic was that a program that I found um, that trained doulas and mm-hmm. end-of-life coaches went online. And instead of you know having to travel to them in person and take classes in person in Colorado, I was able to do them you know via Zoom like we've all gotten used to now. Mm-hmm. And um So that's how I became certified as both an end-of-life coach and a death doula. Wow, fascinating. I did not even know, seriously, until I met you, because I heard doula, and, you know, when I was pregnant, I had a birth doula. Got it. And I was like, wait a minute, a death doula? Fascinating. So all because of COVID, I love that you had that break and you had a time to think about this. So you started Flourish Collaborative, right? which is you doing your thing, helping people leave this planet gracefully or this plane of existence. Correct. So tell us, why do you think, I mean, why is it so hard for us to talk about death? Is that an American thing? You know, it, it's not exclusively an American thing, but I will tell you that there are Americans, um, as in North Americans, Canadians, do this a lot better than we do in the States. So 
um, in Canada, death doulas are much more common. Um, mm. I think what's happened is over time, they've discovered that when the dying have a support system, they actually need less medication. It costs insurance companies less money. There's less hospital stays. And overall, people are just much more content, um, which again, cuts down on medications, cuts down on anxiety. And um, Canadians are really doing this well. Um, so a lot of my mm-hmm. colleagues that do this work are in Canada. And my hope is that we're going to start to see that become more commonplace here. The coasts are also doing a better job of this than we are um, in the middle states, which tends to be kind of how things go. But it's also a great opportunity to be here and stay here and try to change things from the inside out. Sure. So tell us exactly what does a death doula do? I mean, it sounds like a huge job. It is a huge job. And death doulas are not, you know, we're not all the same in the way that we approach our work. So you talked about a birth doula, and that's a great way. It's it's a great introduction to what death doulas do, because a lot of people are familiar with birth doulas. So the word doula means servant. It comes from a, an ancient word that means servant. So birth doulas, their role is to serve the person giving birth. They're not there to deal with other family members. They're not there to deal with the partner, they are there to focus on the person giving birth. They don't even really focus on the baby necessarily. It is to support the birthing person. And I do that sort of work on the other end of life. So it's a great way to kind of, you know, tell people I am there to serve the person who is dying. Mm -hmm. Um, I am there to accompany them and help them to fulfill the plan that they've made for their death in as close to script as possible. So going back to that birth doula example, there's a lot of times where births don't go as planned. We can write out a birth plan. We can, you know, we can schedule it all out. It can be in beautiful font on beautiful paper, and then the whole thing can go awry. And the same thing can happen with death. Most of us don't get the perfect death. You know, if you ask most people, how would you like to die? Most people would say, I would like to go to sleep and never wake up. And that sounds lovely. And that is not how most of us go. Birth is a very active process. Death is a very active process. So my role is to help someone go the way that they want to go. And the caveat with that is that in an ideal situation, I do an end of life plan with someone long before death is imminent. So, you know, I can work with kids, I can work with families, I can work with groups. And it's, you know, some of my favorite people to talk to are high school and college students, because you get you get to plant a seed really early yeah. that you know i i go into rooms and i usually say there is only one thing we've all done and there's only one thing we are all going to do mm-hmm. and they will guess and it's like you know 
we've all been born. Yes, we have all been born. They didn't all look the same. We didn't all arrive the same way, but we were all born. And the only other guarantee is that we're all going to die. And in my mind, if we are all going to do it, why can't we do it well? And that is really what I feel my role is, is to help people pursue their good death, whatever that means. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. On your website, you mentioned a good death. So Mm -hmm. does that mean that they're going as they would like to go with your assistance or what does a good death look like or mean? You know, it, my version of a good death is not what's important. I, I pick up whatever my client's version of a good death is. So, you know, in, in our society, most people will tell you that they would love to, they would love to die tucked into their bed at home, surrounded by the people that they love. And that is not how the majority of us go. The majority of us end up in a hospital surrounded by strangers with bright lights with strange noises, with weird smells. And nobody that I know has ever said, oh, sign me up for strangers and beeping. That's how I want to go. <laughs> you know, nobody yeah. wants to go out that way. And the reality is that we can choose to die at home. We can make that choice. But if we don't communicate it to anyone, how is anyone going to know that's what we want? And even amongst families, I even felt this way where, you know, as I was thinking of where would I like to die? How would I like to go? My first thought was, well, dying at home is going to make home a really sad place for my family. Good point. And when I talked to my husband about it, he was like, no, it wouldn't. It would be an honor to make sure that you're comfortable and that you die in a place that you loved living. And What a beautiful way to think about it. So sometimes we make assumptions that if we haven't actually had the conversation, we don't really know if they're true. That's right. You know, yes, there might be some people that would feel not comfortable having someone die in their home. There's other people who really want that to happen. Mm -hmm. There's people who want to be surrounded by their pets and their kids. And there's people who want to be alone. and we get to honor whatever choice that is. You know, some people might want ACDC playing on repeat. Some people want, might want chant music. Yeah. We don't know unless we have these conversations. You know, we might assume certain people are allowed in the room. And when you have the conversation, find out that someone's like, don't you dare let person A in this room while I'm dying. That is not something I want. So it's, you know, they're just, these are conversations that once you start the conversation, it kind of trickles out because, you know, people get curious, but it's starting the conversation that's the hardest part. So once you start that conversation, is that when the end of life plan then is created? Yeah. So the scenario that I give my clients is we, we open a great big calendar and we flip it three months ahead. And I ask them, tell them, okay, breaking the news to you, you have 90 days to live. And we circle 90 days forward on the calendar. Mm -hmm. And I say, this is your death date. Obviously, it's a scenario in an ideal situation. 
The person is not terminally ill. Death is not imminent. This is a scenario to work with. And the first question I ask is what feels important? What kind um, of answers do you get to that? Well, never ever has anyone said I have to go to work. Right. Or right. I, I, I need to go pay those bills. I mean, right. yes, those things are important. But some of the things that'll come up actually are things like, well, I would quit my job. Okay. All right. Tell yeah. me more. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I haven't liked my job for 10 years, but, you know, I'm so close to retirement that what else am I supposed to do? Or, I really don't know what else I want to do, but it sparks conversations that are more about less about how people are going to die and more about how they're going to choose to live the time that they do have. Love that. So to have that conversation with someone and say, so the only thing that would make you quit a job you hate is learning that you're dying. Hmm. I see. And there's usually, there's usually a pretty big pause. And then there's yeah. a, hmm. And I'm like, I mean, if that's, if that's what it takes to quit the job you hate by all means, but I wonder if you could get curious about what life would look like if you didn't have to be dying to make a different Mm -hmm. choice. Wow. A A lot of other things come up. Like I would call my sister who I haven't talked to in 10 years. Okay. So again, same question. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to learn that you're dying to, you know, reach out and mend fences or tie up loose ends. And I, I get that that feels like human nature, but to be able to give people a little nudge to say, the reality is you you are dying. You just don't know the exact timeline, right? You could go tomorrow. Your sister could die tomorrow. What if we start just getting curious about what would life look like? If you could wrap up some of these things now, that's lovely. And it is lovely. It's really cool work. And, you know, and then we get into lots of things like, you know, what do you want done with your body as you're dying? What mm-hmm. do you, who are you comfortable seeing you in what levels of undress or in what levels of need? What type of, you know, what types of things are important to you? What do you want done with your body after you die? And those are the things that most people expect me to talk about. But we also talk about things like who's going to manage your social media account? Where are your passwords? You know, like, is there a box, is there a box under your bed or a drawer in your room that you do (laughs) not want your mother to open? You know, Uh like find that. Yes. What are the things that, you know, what are the more practical things that we need to take care of? And you know, a lot of conversations about things that some people just don't know. I think, I think people assume that, you know, your only option is to call a funeral home and, you know, go the burial route. And there, there are other options. So, you know, it's just, again, a lot, a lot of what I do is just sitting with people and being curious about what is possible. I love that. And I love that some of that still reflects on them to make changes now. Mm-hmm. So that's really lovely. So once you've completed the end of life plan with somebody, is this a document that they should like keep like with their will and power of attorney? And it yeah. will be on. Yeah. So okay. um I tell people when I when people ask what I do, so the end of life planning part of it, I describe it that way. I will say, you know, you have a lawyer, 
who handles your estate. You have a financial planner who handles, you know, your investments. I handle your good death. So part of the documentation that I want, you know, I will tell people, I want you to visit with an attorney and make sure your estate is set up. I want you to have your finances set up. I want you to have a power of attorney. Um, I want your power of attorney, especially, you know, to say that I am allowed to be in the room with you as you die. Because if, you know, if someone has declared a power of attorney, a medical power of attorney, and that person doesn't know about me, I can't help. It's possible that I could be excluded. So we do write up a, um, you know, we do write up a formal plan. And before I even start working with people, one of the questions I ask is, who are you going to communicate this to? Because if there is not an answer to that, we're wasting our time. If you're going to just create a plan and stick it in a drawer somewhere and hope someone finds it at the right time. Yeah. I mean, it can make people feel really bad when they find it later and they realize they did everything you didn't want done. But the biggest thing is like, you can plan all you want. If you don't communicate it to someone who you can trust to carry out your wishes, right. Then why did we do it? And a lot of times I will actually suggest to people, some people have a family member or a child that they feel really comfortable doing this with, but I, a lot of times will recommend to people that it be someone that's outside of your family okay. because family dynamics can get really hard at end of life Yes, oh. to where someone decides that they need more time when the dying person is all buttoned up and complete. So we have, you know, it's one of those things where if end of life planning is done well and it's communicated well, there's no surprises when the person dies. They've already said, this is what I want. These are the arrangements I've made. Here's Jenny's number. Mm -hmm. When the time comes, give her a call. She'll be right over, you know, and, and so it it really is just a lot about communication in advance. And, you know, there's nobody that I know that really truly wants to not fulfill somebody's wishes. Yeah. The, the example I give families is I'll say, you know, what is your mom's favorite kind of cake? Mm-hmm. Oh, devil's food. She loves devil's food cake. Like, oh, so for her next birthday, you're going to make vanilla cake with vanilla frosting. No, she likes mm-hmm devil's food. I'm like, okay, so you would never make her a cake she doesn't love for her birthday. Uh, Why would we ever want to do something she doesn't want at her death? And it's that same type of attitude. We want to please the people that we love, but if they don't tell us what they want, how can we possibly know? Exactly. Exactly. So you get in there, you talk to them, you get their end of life plan. And then if, and when this person does need you, they call you and you show up and then what does it look like while that person is actively dying? What is your role? My role is just to hold space and to witness and to help assure people that there's not an emergency happening. So, you know, we live in a a society where we kind of follow a medical model. 
when when someone appears to be going downhill, we call 911. You know, if somebody is dying at home, it's important for family members to know that the death is not an emergency. It's expected. It's not necessary to call 911. Death is an active process. So I will explain to families, you're going to see changes in skin color. You might see changes in the way that they're breathing. You might all of a sudden see someone who's not been very communicative or talkative. Maybe suddenly they are. Um, it's not uncommon for someone to have very lucid moments suddenly right before they die. Um, it's, it, it, you know, there's a lot of just death is so interesting. Um, people might talk about family members they haven't seen in a long time, or they might talk about someone that's waiting for them. Right. Yeah. A lot of times people will talk about a trip they're going to take. It's just really interesting. And, you know, I think humans try to explain those things. And so I spend a lot of time just saying, you know, we don't have to explain anything. We can just listen and we can just acknowledge that the reality that this person is experiencing is their reality. Right. And we're going to go with it. We're just going to, we're going to go with it. And then, you know, there might be more hands-on things where, you know, maybe someone once wanted to be anointed with oil or maybe someone wanted to be, you know, maybe they want their hand held or maybe they want certain music played at certain times. It, It Again, it's just, you know, holding space for what that person wanted, reminding the visitors there that they can touch the person that they can interact with the person, that even if they're not responding, they can likely hear you. Mm-hmm. And to just, you know, again, try to normalize that this is still an act of living. It's just our last act. Right, right. Oh, my goodness. We only have about five minutes left, and I can't believe it because I feel like I could talk with you forever. So tell me, how do you take care of you? After all this, is this hard? I mean, I feel like you're doing such a wonderful thing, but I also have to think it does maybe hurt your heart just a little. You know, it, I think that the deaths that I witnessed in the hospital setting as an occupational therapist, I think that was harder on my heart because I saw so many people who were, no one shows up at a trauma center voluntarily, you know, so people who are there are literally broken battered, bruised, diseased, whatever is happening. And I saw so many people who their lives were forever changed and they didn't have a plan Mm -hmm. or someone died and there wasn't a plan. So the family is scrambling and you're overhearing conversations like, well, I don't really know what, what would she want to wear? And then you have another family member say, well, she doesn't even, why are we doing a a church service. She doesn't, she hasn't gone to church in years, like those kinds of things to where now the families that I work with, I mean, I know that what we're doing is, I mean, it's almost like granting wishes and it's, you know, so, you know, yes, death can be very sad and, and death can be traumatic and you always, you know, it, but what I get to witness is people who are so loved 
mm-hmm. and cared for that people don't want them to leave. And that's a really beautiful thing. It is. But it's also really beautiful to watch families have these conversations long before death is coming yes. and just get to know each other a little better or decide mm-hmm. to live a little differently. Yeah. And and then again, like each person who does this more purposefully, I feel like it paves the way for all of their family behind them to do the same thing. Yes, that was my next question. Do you often see then other family members coming to you saying, I want to make this end of life plan too? Yeah, yeah. And actually my favorite my favorite work to do is to work with multi-generations of the same family. It's uh-huh. really fun. It's really fun. And there's really never, there's not a, at too early age to start this kind of conversation. Kids are so amazing at dreaming and they have very strong ideas about how they want to go. So uh, they, they oftentimes are good models for their older family members. Hmm. I love that. I love that. So how do you take care of you? Ah, how do I take care of me? Yes, you did ask me that question. You know, I do a really good job of stepping into my work and stepping out of my work Mm -hmm. um, so that I, you know, I don't carry it around with me, um, which, you know, as someone who's an empath, that's hard to, to not carry the weight of the world all the time, but to know that it truly is work and that I, I can put it down. Good. Um, you know, Good. so it is a process of kind of picking it up when it's time and then setting it back down when it's not. Good. Glad to hear it. So right now you're in Omaha. Is, do you go outside of the Omaha area if needed? Yeah, I sure can. And I do a lot of my services virtually. It sounds Good. strange. Um, you know, the end of life planning part of it is easy to do virtually, but I mean, you can even attend deaths virtually. Um, and it, you know, it works surprisingly well. We've all gotten pretty used to that type of interaction. Yeah, so I love that. Yeah. I love that you can do it via Zoom or whatever. So you can you bet there, right and don't miss That's out. That's right. Yeah. So and it's a way to bring other family members in too. Which I love because especially if you're not in the same town. Hey mm-hmm. Uncle Jim or information, what is a good website? FlourishCollab.com. Collab.com. That's collab, C-O-L-L-A-B. That's right. Okay. Do you have a good phone number somebody can reach you at? Yeah, I do. 402-290-9936. People are welcome to call or text. Oh, yeah. Text. That's right. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So if you have any questions about end of life or anything at all dealing with death, Jenny is the person to give a call to folks. So again, flourishcollab.com or call or text 402-290-9936. Jenny, I love that you do this and I love that you're here for all of us. I think I might have to call you and do some end of life planning. I I would love that. Because it's a nice thing to know that you can do that. Because like you said, I don't know if a lot of people even know that this exists, right? No, so, I think I think a lot of us are just, you know, kind of going, going along, along just yeah. going along. And right? so I, like you, you know, it's just a lot more, it's a lot more comforting. And it's things are a lot less scary when you have an idea of what you want. 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I love what you do. And like I said, I'm so glad that we have you doing this work. And if you want more information, one last time, flourishcollab.com. Jenny Herkenbach, thank you so much, Death Doula. You are loved and needed. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Radio Talking Book Service and Community Conversations. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. It's the interview program that brings you voices from the Omaha community. The Radio Talking Book Network is brought to you with the cooperation of KIOS-FM in Omaha and statewide through the facilities of NET Radio and Television. We've been proudly serving our blind and visually impaired listeners for 46 years. Thank you for being a loyal Radio Talking Book listener and supporter.